Have you ever read a book, heard a story, where the main characters, for some reason or another, get in a jam, they get in trouble, and all of a sudden, at the end, seemingly from nowhere, there's always a, a rich uncle who gives them a fortune, something like that. I don't know how many times, uh, how many stories I've read or dreamed up where it's real easy to get characters in trouble. And it's also real easy to come up with this secret relative or this unknown relative who makes everything right at the end. It's just simple that life isn't like that. But we all love it when that happens. I remember college course I took when I was a freshman in accounting. I think it was called personal finance. It made me realize why I was glad that I wasn't destined to be an accountant. I remember that much about it. But I remember the professor telling a story of uh, a distant relative of hers, that widow lady. And she took what little she had and she invested it. She decided she was going to try to do something with the remaining money that she had after her husband's death. And she invested it in a little unknown company called IBM and ended up, you know the story, if you got in on the ground floor of a major corporation like that, what would happen? See, that's what surprises me is the, the unknown, the Something unexpected coming out of nowhere. That's the way a story ought to end. And that's what I want you to think about this morning with me, about preparing for Christmas. For I think that what the Bible teaches us all the way through, but especially in the passage we've chosen for this day, hopefully you've been reading the readings, the Bible readings every day along with us that have a Christmas mix, a, a list of carols to play along with each day's devotional reading. But one of those passages this week, about midweek, was out of the book of Galatians. And I've chosen to take the basis of that devotional on preparation out of Galatians chapter 4. I know it's not Luke chapter 2. It's not the typical traditional Christmas story. It isn't from the book of Matthew because Matthew chapter 2 tells the story of the magi, the, the wise men who came to visit the child Jesus. But Galatians 4 nonetheless has everything to do with Christmas as we prepare for it. I believe that what Paul does, because he wrote this letter, to several churches in a region called Galatia. Galatia wasn't a city unto itself, but it was a region. And so a letter that was written and passed along to several other congregations, Paul tells a story, the story of salvation, where the ending was planned all along by God. And as he details this story for us, we begin to see how God was at work and how something totally unexpected came about in our lives. You know, when you read the Bible, you've got to keep this in mind. When the Bible is divided into chapters, that's our way of helping ourselves find certain passages. But in, let's say, the, the Greek New Testament, in each one of these books, be it Matthew or a letter to the church at Rome, Romans or Galatians, there were no chapter divisions. There were no verse 
designations. We've done that later. People did that for us. And so sometimes when you read through these New Testament books, especially these letters, you forget that they are letters and they begin and they flow all the way to the end. Such it is here because Galatians chapter 4 verse 1 really is at what I consider to be an awkward place to have a chapter break because Paul has been telling a story all the way back into the first part of chapter 3. He's been describing, trying to convince these people, and we need convincing today that the idea of Jesus coming and bringing us salvation is is a story of salvation that comes virtually out of nowhere in one sense. It's the unexpected salvation that comes for each one of us. And so Paul uses some analogies from his day and time, some illustrations, some stories, and where we pick up in chapter one, in chapter four, verse one, is really a continuation of an argument or a story he's already delved into. But nevertheless, we don't have time to read all of it in its context. Do that on your own. But there beginning in chapter four, verse one, and reading through verse seven, We're going to break it down into some chunks that are easier to deal with. Paul begins to tell us this story of salvation and how this story affects us all. How it's the perfect, happy ending, if you will. And it comes out of nowhere, seemingly. But we know better than that. It comes from the heart and the mind of the God who loves us and knows what's best for us. First part of this story... As he continues it from chapter 3, is talking about children, talking about heirs, talking about those who have an inheritance provided for them. Not that rich uncle who comes out of nowhere. Something totally different. Let's pick up there in chapter 4, verses 1 through 3, talk about children who were in bondage. He says, now I say... As long as the heir is a child, he does not differ at all from a slave, although he is the owner of everything. But he is under guardians and managers until the date set by the father. So also we, while we were children, were held in bondage under the elemental things of the world. Okay, it's a difficult thought process, but if you listen carefully, if you look at your own Bible, if you look at the text, you'll see that Paul is drawing an analogy. He's making a comparison. Verses 1 and 2, he talks about an heir who is a child. Simple enough, it seems. Going by the laws of the first century world, really isn't the point. Going by the the way we handle... uh, trusts or estates or inheritances, it really doesn't matter either. The point is always the same. And that is simply this, that when a child has a certain amount of an inheritance, certain amount of money or a certain amount of property, whatever it is that has been set aside for him or her, while they are minor children, they can't take care of it on their own. And they're not any different from Paul calls a slave. The difference between a slave, someone who has no rights, and a child who has been given this wonderful promise of an inheritance are virtually the same. While the child is 
of the age where they can't take full control of this inheritance. Makes total sense. That's why there are laws set up. We have, uh, Marcy and I have a very, very good friend, lives back in Arkansas, served in a church long, long ago with this couple. She is now a widow, and Theresa has asked me to help her in days, years to come after she's gone to heaven to take care of those important to her family members. I told her I would do this. I will do it gladly. I will do it because I'm connected to her family. I'll do it because I love her. And I'm beginning to see, though I hope this really never happens in my lifetime, because when I go to heaven, it's all going to fall on Marcy to do and to deal with. But if it should happen that Theresa goes to heaven here pretty soon, there are some decisions that have to be made, and some of them regard children who are going to be given the promise of wealth. That's the best way to put it. But they're not going to be able to handle it all themselves. It's not going to be doled out to them immediately. It's not going to be given to them. We have certain rules. That's what Paul's saying here. He says, each one of us, there in verse 3, while we were children... And he's talking about spiritual children. We were held bondage, he says, under the elemental things of the world. Now, what's he mean? He says, hey, he says, when you think about Christmas, when you think about your spiritual relationship with God, this is what's happening here. There's a period of time where you've got to understand that That God is setting aside blessings. God has an inheritance for each one of us. That inheritance we know is in Christ Jesus. But God provided a guardian for us. Just as in real life, children who can't handle this wealth all at once have guardians, have processes that protect them, even though they have full rights to it. They're really no different than an employee. They're really no different than a slave, as he would call it. And so we, until we understood what Christmas was all about, God gave us the law. And the law, the elemental things of the world, the law kept us protected. That's what the law does. You go all the way back to the story of Exodus. That's why God gave the law. So that until salvation would be seen in Jesus, the law would give them what? Protection, would give them rules, would give them an ethical basis for living. Really, that elemental things of the world literally is the ABCs of life. That's what it literally means. Now think about it. You start, you, you're a child, you, you don't understand the wealth that has been provided for you. And so in the meantime, you're what? You're given a law, you're given a protector. You're dealing with the ABCs of life. But there's more to it than that. We're not to be under the law for life. We're not to stop at the ABCs. Can you imagine a first grader learning the ABCs? Absolutely. But the ABCs are meant to what? To lead you to read the great books of the world. To take hold of the the great writers, the literature. It would be ridiculous to think of someone who was of age, someone who is, let's say, my age, as young as I am. That would what? That would learn the ABCs and yet be stuck just reading those books that are meant for children? See, that's where Paul's going. He's saying, hey, there's a time, this inheritance reserved for you and me. But we're not where we can take it on yet. 
until Paul moves through to the next step of his discussion, and that is God sent Jesus into the world to rescue us, to redeem us, to save us. Look at Galatians 4.4. Paul says, when the fullness of time came, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, so that he might redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive the adoption as sons. Okay, now once again, sounds a little up there. I understand it's, it's, a, it's a kind of a hard argument to follow, if you will. But come back and let's break it down. What's Paul saying? Begin there in chapter 4, verses 1, 2, and 3, talking about something we all could understand. We all know someone who has an inheritance, perhaps. Maybe that's your situation. Maybe you grew up that way. Maybe someone left you a tremendous treasure, but there's a time in life where you can't handle it. You've got a guardian. You've got someone to bring you along. That's how God provided for us. He gave us the law to protect us, to give us a way to live. We're learning the ABCs of how to live life. But then, when the fullness of time came, when the right moment came, God sent forth Jesus. He is the one who will bring our inheritance to its full revelation. He is the one. He is that inheritance, the Bible tells us. He is that promised redemption. But the way Paul says it, so beautiful, he says, Jesus came, the way I would say it, Jesus was born not a moment too early and not a moment too late. He came just at the right time in history. Think about it. You know, people have asked that open-ended question. Why 2,000 years ago was Jesus born? Why couldn't he have been born a 1,000 years before? Or why couldn't God have waited until uh, the, the centuries? We would call the Middle Ages. Why did Jesus come at that moment, the Bible says it was the fullness of time, the perfect opportunity for God to introduce, to bring His Son, our Savior, our inheritance into the world. Think about it. Two things come to my mind, Roman roads and Greek language. Roman roads is the simple fact that the Roman Empire was at its height when Jesus was born. And the Romans, of all the atrocities they brought to civilization, and of all the great works of art and sculpture they brought to civilization, they did something that made it perfect for the birth of Jesus, the Roman system of roads. Now, you compare it to our system of freeways, and there's, well, wait a minute, it, it probably isn't too much different than out here. Okay, I was going to say it was a total mess compared to our time. But the road system, the transportation, the ability to get from point A to point B. Think about Paul and his companions leaving Antioch or leaving Jerusalem and taking the road where? To Ephesus? Taking the road to Iconium and Lystra? and Der Travel was made possible. The spread of the gospel. Because Jesus was born at a time when the Roman Empire had built a system of roads where you could get from one end of the empire to the other. Greek language. Who would have thought it that 
after the great Persian empire where the Jews were allowed to come home and they rebuilt the temple and they rebuilt the walls of Jerusalem, that the Greek culture would take the world by storm, that a young man named Alexander the Great, as pagan as the day is long, that God would use this amazing military conqueror who died in his 30s, but not until he had literally conquered the entire world and on top of that had brought with it his language, and his language permeated every civilization. A perfect time when the language of the Greeks could convey the message that we have in the New Testament, written in Greek. You see, God understood all this. He knew. It's not one of those stories where The main characters get in trouble and all of a sudden out of nowhere some rich uncle comes and bails them out. This is a story that God purposed from the beginning. Now, there's a little phrase in there that's great. He says we've come, we've we've moved from slaves to sons is the way he puts it. But there the last phrase of verse 5 that we might receive the adoption as sons. He introduces a new word to describe our relationship with God. Adoption. Why choose that one? Think about it. When when moms and dads have natural born children, they take what they get. Best way to put it. You take the life that's brought your way. But when you're adopted... It's a mom and a dad who go through a process where they make a choice, where they understand. Now, now, once again, this is an analogy that Paul is making for us. He's the one that chose the word. God inspired him to use this term to describe part of our relationship. But when you talk about being adopted, it's a different mindset than a natural-born child. Because when we see ourselves as adopted into God's family, it accentuates and emphasizes God's choice of us. He chose us to be included in His family. He chose us because He loves us. And so Paul just throws that in. But don't think that didn't go undetected by these first century readers. They understood well the laws of adoption in the Roman world. Documents tell us that a mom and a dad could disown a natural-born child. If a son or a daughter that were part of their DNA disobeyed, they could write them out of the will. But an adopted child was protected, never to be disowned. And Paul says, in the fullness of time, Jesus was born, born of a woman, born under the law. All those phrases to tell us that Jesus is the God-man, that Jesus came into this earth and lived among us, just as other passages tell us. And he did all that so that what? So that we wouldn't have to be children protected by this law, but we could understand and know and receive our inheritance. We'd been adopted into the very family of God. Leads into the last two verses. I call it children, sons, and heirs. This is where he takes all of these designations of of position and children and applies them to us. He says, 
because you were sons, God sent forth the Spirit of His Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. Therefore, you are no longer a slave, but you're a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. So what's he saying here? He's saying, folks, said when, when the child is protected, when the child is given a guardian, when the child can't handle the inheritance, they're looking forward to it. They may not even understand it or know it. But when the time comes, they're granted that gift. They're granted that inheritance. And Paul takes that analogy and he says, we have access to Abba Father. That was the personal name. You, you wouldn't think to call a judge anything like Daddy, Abba is what it means. But the relationship we have with God through Christ is one where we as a child can approach him and give him that title, call him by that title. That is the most personal and intimate title you could give to a parent. Abba, Father. He says we're children of God, you notice in this passage. We are children of God. Think about it. How do we come into God's family? We're born again, the Bible says. We convert. We have a life change. We are rejuvenated and reborn from the inside out. God's Spirit comes to reside with us. We are His children. But He says we're also sons. Now, that doesn't mean masculine. It means sons and daughters, of course. But what's the difference? The son is the one who is given the rights and the privileges. The daughter is the one who is acknowledged. Even though they're children, even though they may not understand it, they're given the title of the one who will inherit the estate. So a child that can't handle it is viewed in one sense as the one who will eventually be in charge of all things. See what his analogy does? What his storyline does? He says we are children of God. But we're not just children. We're not just born into his kingdom. We're sons and daughters. We're given the title. We're given the privilege. We're given the promise of the great inheritance that God has for us. And if sons and daughters, then we're heirs of God. See, he just takes it to another step. He's given us the end of the story, if you will. And it's not by happenstance. It's not because it just turned out this way. It was God's eternal plan. We're heirs of God. Now, we know that we're on this side of Christmas. But we also know that we're not to the end of it yet. We haven't received the full inheritance. We don't have everything God intended for us. That will happen when our inheritance is given to us completely at his second coming. But we're no longer just learning the ABCs. We're no longer children who are under the domination and the care of a manager or the law. We are now believers in Jesus. We have all the rights and the privileges thereof. Which brings us to a question. Have we prepared for this? Preparation. Are we ready? Do we know and understand what it means to understand and know the presence of Christ in our lives? 
See, once again, taking this story and looking at it from another angle, that's the beauty of these illustrations. You can turn them every which way and look at them from a different angle and learn something new. But it brings choice into the equation, does it not? That yes, we're born physically into this world, And at one time, we had the opportunity to be born spiritually into God's kingdom, to become his children. But what does that necessitate? A choice. Are you prepared for Christmas? I mentioned the birth of a grandchild this week. You know, we if you don't know, we have eight grandchildren now. They all live near us. We're very blessed. And they've all been born at this hospital right over here, Louisville Medical Center. And here's, here's the way we go about it. This is our uh, mode of operation. Whenever a grandchild is born, we all gather in the waiting room, all of us, and both sides of the family. So in this case, it was Willie's family, the Irwins who live here in the community, and all of us. Well, I mean all of us. It's all of us that can be there. Usually we're all there. And, we, you know, we go back in the room and say, hey, and then, you know, I come down to the waiting room, we all wait there, and then they come and bring the announcement of whether it's a boy or it's a girl. For the most part, our children had done what Marcy and I did. We didn't, in our day and time, you couldn't know the gender of a child. Nowadays, the testing and the sonograms are so uh, clear that if you want to know the gender of your child, you can. But for the most part, we'd gone and we, we had no idea what it would be, and that's the fun of it. Well, this Thursday, you know, Haley has three girls. She has Brighton, she has Indy, and she has Stevie. And this is their fourth child. What is it going to be, a boy or a girl? And that's not the point. I wish for the opposite for all of them. You know, Michael, our other daughter, is due here in just a few weeks. She has two girls. I'm wishing the opposite for her. Lindsay, our daughter, has two boys. I'm wishing the opposite for her. I hope she has a girl. She's already told us she will have 50 children until she gets a girl. So I hope it's just time. Okay. <clears throat> So last Thursday, about 2.32, we hear the, there's a little chime in the hospital that plays the da 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 That means a baby's been born. Well, we were the only ones out there. Okay, it's happened. Come on, Willie. Come on down. Come on. Tell us. He comes into the room, opens the door, and he says, we had a boy. Okay, well, that room erupted. Once again, hear me. It's because it was the opposite. If it had been three boys and they had a girl, been the same thing. It's just the fact that it's, it was a boy. Now, the problem there is I know what's going to happen. The poor child's going to be cross-dressed the first eight years of his life by his older sisters. We've seen that happen. Okay. But he said it's a boy. And we screamed. We videoed it and everything. It was all kinds of fun, all kinds of fun. Yesterday, Marcy comes home. She'd been at the hospital with Haley. She got to come home yesterday. Marcy came in. She looked at me and she said, you're not going to believe this. I said, what? She said, when Haley went for her first sonogram back in the summer, the way the technician adjusted the instrument, it was very obvious that it was a boy. Haley, they didn't want to know. Haley saw, she's the only one there, she knew back in the summer the gender of her child, and she made a choice. I'm telling no one. <laughs> she didn't tell her husband. She didn't tell her mother. 
She didn't tell anybody. She let Marcy, they would go shopping. She'd let Marcy buy a boy gift and a girl gift and buy them both, knowing that if it had been a certain amount, if it had been super expensive, she probably would have put it off. But she kept it to herself. And all along, she knew. The nurse up there, Thursday, making all these well, I've been here, and I can tell, and this is a girl because I can tell by the heartbeat. Haley was sitting there going, uh-huh. Because <laughs> Haley knew. Nobody else did. But she knew. I think it's pretty stand-up of her to have done that because it made it great for everybody in the family, especially for, for her husband, just the, the sheer fun of it for all of us. She knew. You know, God knows. He's got this plan. He's got this inheritance. He's got everything set up for us. He knows. We stumble through life. We wonder, when's it going to happen? Who's going to rescue me from this jam? Where's my rich uncle? How's the story going to turn out right? If you just would turn to his word, you will find that in the fullness of time, not a moment too early, not a moment too late, God sent forth his son Jesus into this earth, to this world, that we might, what? Have the adoption of sons daughters into God's family, that we might have the great inheritance of faith given to us. Are you prepared for that kind of Christmas? Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for the opportunity to gather here to proclaim as we've been singing, as our children have led us, as we've reached out through your word to you. Bless our efforts. Touch our hearts. Help us make the choices that reflect our love for you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Setup's a little bit different today, but our method of closing out this service remains the same. We offer a, a time of commitment. These three main aisles, of course, look a little busy. You won't be walking down those if you choose to respond. But the far aisles will be clear. There'll be ministers and deacons standing at either corner. Ray and Liz will be there to pray if you need someone to pray for you. Lon will be up in the balcony, people that believe in prayer. But our intention of closing a service like this in this way is simply this. God gives us opportunities to respond, and we respond to him in obedience. So if you're here today and you have never accepted Jesus Christ into your heart, ever, never asked him to save you, never taken the privilege that God has for you to be adopted into his family, to be an heir, to have an inheritance of salvation. Make that choice today. Maybe you're here today and you've never told the world you believe in Jesus. Come tell us. Maybe you've never followed him in believer's baptism. Come forward with an understanding of what that means and let us set a time to let you experience believer's baptism. Maybe God would lead you to join this church today. Maybe this is where he wants you to plug in and belong. Or maybe it's just a matter of preparation. Maybe you've gotten lots of things done. It's just that you've left the important things undone. Don't let it rest a minute. 
That's our invitation. We stand together. We sing. Won't you come forward and respond as God leads?